This episode of Rebel Talk is brought to you by Rebel Tech. Human stories for startups. Rebel Shrebel, you've dropped your dress. Rebel Shrebel, your face is a mess. Renny Rizepi's in your restaurant. Renny Rizepi from Noma. Oh. Which one? Smokehouse. Yeah. And I said, so I'm in Tooting. I said, also, I've just ordered a Domino's. Rebel Shrebel, your face is a mess. Rebel Shrebel, how could they Hello and welcome to Rebel Talk, a brand new podcast that celebrates rebels across every walk of life. Each episode we talk to the troublemakers whose predilection for bending the rules is driving progress, change, transformation. I'm your host Mark Schwakey, I'm here with Neil Rankin, celebrated chef, restaurateur and that guy who did something many of us have long aspired to do when he recently told Gordon Ramsay to fuck off. He's the owner of London's two, soon to be three, temper restaurants and is known as much by his friends for his fiery outlook on life as he is by diners for his fiery cooking. The Observer's Jay Rayner recently wrote, I love the fact that you can smell the wood smoke and the rendering meat from the door. I love the way that smell stays in your hair. Not for me though, Jay, I'm bald. Neil, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. You, um, you started our conversation this morning with the words I only ever hear as your greeting. <laughs> Go on, say it. I'm a little bit hungover. You are a little bit hungover. Little what was last night? It's the Scotch Egg Challenge. What the fuck? Oh, it's just basically this, this thing they do every year. It's in a pub in Islington, and this guy, Osh, who is a nightmare, and he's a landlord, and he just gets everybody pissed. And What's the competition, though? Is it how many you eat? No, or? I mean, you just, you just basically or, you make 12 Scotch eggs. Somehow you have to pay to be there, which I didn't really understand why no. I pay him 30 quid for me bringing free eggs to him and yeah. filling his restaurant. Yeah. There was about 12 of London's best chefs all making scotch eggs and getting absolutely and then just smashed. Being, and then just being judged. Yeah. Who and else then, was And there? then I only know what time I got home from my Uber receipt, which is quite common. What time was it? I, th- I think it was, wasn't that late. That was worrying. It was like like about half twelve. Yeah. Again. It felt like three. Thank you, know? you for being here. So, Neil, you and I lived together in slightly fucked up circumstances during our days at yeah. Salford University. Now, what's interesting to me about those days is that we lived together and we ate like shit. <laughs> we, there was no good food. You quite literally never cooked anything good for me during those. I, 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 feel I, I, I don't angry think about that's it. true. I think I cooked some nice curries, and I was really good at French toast. Yeah, you were okay at French toast. Actually. I used to make stacks of French toast. Basically, yeah. I remember like a huge pile, like a mountain yeah. of French toast. That was all I could do. Neil Rankin, the reason I'm fat. <laughs> In fact, lots about you, lots about you. So I was going to try and use that as a clever link, but you've proven me wrong. The link was going to be, you never made me anything good, and now, look at you, you're one of London's most celebrated. But actually, in fact, lots of things about you have changed since then, including um, your relationship with your home city of Edinburgh, uh, your career and life plan. So uh, you studied acoustics, so were dead set on being a scientist. Well, I mean, I was. No, I don't think I was dead set on being anything. I was just, I went to Manchester because it was Manchester. Yeah. I wanted to go to Manchester. What was Man- what was Manchester to you back then? Was it was it the music? Was it the scene? Yeah, yeah. Which we didn't go to that often. We did a bit. We did a bit, but we didn't, we went to other places more. Yeah, we did. But the one, a lot but more. come on, try and make us a bit fucking cool. We did go to the Hacienda. We did, we did go to the Hacienda. I, I remember. But it wasn't the coolest thing when we got there. I was remember it? seeing the Stone Roses in the, yeah. in the Hacienda. No, you went more because you used to go to the. the I was at the house nights, wasn't it? You yeah. go to those. We went to you know, Boulders a bit, but you know. We went to Boulders a lot. It was a strange and alien place to me. That was, yeah. But what has remained intact is your strength and sense of self. Now, the things I love about you as a man, and of course, 
most people do when they hear you on TV or follow you on Twitter is that you just are determined to follow your own rules and nobody else's. Now, this this podcast is all about celebrating rebels, and that's why I thought of you. Tell me what happened with Gordon Ramsay. I was actually in the tube when I wrote that, and I, what did you I read. Write? Well, I, I read that he was doing this program about chefs on cocaine, and apparently highlighting that it was a problem within the industry when people at work and. A, I just don't find that to be true. I mean, I was not, you know, you went to university with me, so I wasn't, you know, I wasn't wasn't the cleanest living guy before. And actually, when I started and became a chef, I, I didn't drink, I didn't do drugs, I stopped smoking, I worked 18-hour shifts day after day, you know, getting three, night, three hours a night sleep. You know, I was really passionate about getting into it, and I, and I worked my. But you work, put yourself work, up for that, didn't you? Yeah, I worked fucking hard for it, and I mean, you went at into no point, you went into restaurants at no point asking for those with shifts. drugs during those services have helped me. I mean, they don't help you get better at stuff. They don't help you fillet fish better. You but, know, I mean, but and, you went into, and I also think, you, and my, my my problem with him is, namely, is that his his attitude towards chef this shouty fuck off you know horrible way of bullying people which has made him famous is it not true is is not it's not the case anymore it just doesn't happen anymore and i think think the the fault the people that it does happen with tend to be people that have worked with him and you were and concerned that, about that. him portraying the industry in a bad way that was yeah bad. and then then saying everybody's on drugs which just isn't true i mean look you look at any you look at i mean not to say that um, my chefs don't go out afterwards and, you know, I'd be mad to think that the restaurant industry wasn't rife with cocaine. But not when you're at work, yeah. you know. And the same can be said for journalism. The same can be said for the acting industry. The same can be said for the music industry. The same can be said for almost any bloody industry you, you count it on. So to pinpoint, you know... What was your problem uh, with it? Point, was, it restaurant... about, was it about hiring new people and wanting to make it an industry that people were up for? I mean, I just, I just wanted to make a nicer industry. You know, we want, we want people to want to join our industry. And I don't think his attitude towards this sort of bullying mentality and also telling everybody's on drugs really does us any favours. Did he come back at you? No, nah, he hasn't said shit. So it was just... Of course he hasn't. I mean, everybody... The, the, the reason the story became big wasn't because of what I said. It was because of everybody else backing me up. Because everybody was like, ah, somebody said it. You know, he is, he's, he's a wanker. When you went looking for your new direction and you, you took a left turn into food, was it always going to be food or were you just looking for something different to be successful in? You were looking for a new, a new way in? Because, uh, you know, you said you talk about how we cooked together. At, I mean, we were students. We were, we were little boys playing at real life. But you studied acoustics. So I assume then you didn't know anything about wanting to be a chef. Were you even into food? Did- but I, I don't think... I mean, I don't... I used to watch Ready Steady Cook. <laughs> yeah. I think that's probably... Close. I loved it. Makes me think I could be a chef. Well, no, I mean, I, I sort of got into it. That was the sort of beginning when food programmes started to come out. Yeah. Um, and the idea of becoming a chef was a little bit more than... I mean, I mean... I, I wouldn't even consider it as a career when I was at school. I mean, the only people I saw that were cooking were people making food for us at school. It didn't look like a sexy career to me, you know? I didn't want to be a dinner lady. You could have been. Well, I could have been a dinner lady. I could have done that. But in terms of the kind of food you're cooking, and I've tasted both restaurants massively, we'll, we'll talk about those in a minute, and looking forward to the third. You know, you're loved by reviewers, and you get your fair share of media exposure. You've got television and press, and I saw you in South Africa last week at something that looked really interesting. But you've chosen an area of cooking that's unlikely to get you a Michelin star anytime soon. Is that yeah. a thing to you? Is that Yeah, like a... I, just, I, I, I cook for people. 
I cook for... What does I, that mean? I, well, I think about things being delicious and things being homely and things being enjoyable. It's not really about the food per se. It's about the overall experience. You come into my restaurants, it's about enjoying yourself going out, which is, I think, why people go out. You know, very few people in this country go out for, you know, just the, the, the eating experience alone, which is why fine dining's kind of on a decline because without without the atmosphere, without the enjoyment, you know, of going out, where are you? You know, it's got to be at such a high level. Yeah. Um, and that's not really the food I like eating, so it'd be disingenuous for me to, to be cooking that what way. What food do you love eating? Curry. Yeah. And Thai food. Yeah. And Domino's pizzas. Barbecue, tacos, wine, mezcal. Fuck, the ham and pineapple pizza taco, I think, is just... Um, I don't know, I'm a big Hawaiian pizza fan. And so talk about... That's the, a lie. I don't eat Domino's. Talk, I banned myself from them. But I did I did have a... I did a, have, a little I phase. Did, I did have a phase where yeah. I was calling them at nine. Because yeah. I worked out the app. You yeah. could actually... You could order at nine, and they'll arrive at your door at like five past 11. Yeah. Which is so dangerous. Yeah. Before bed. Yeah. Actually, or, or just in bed. Well, no, anytime. Actually, the, the guy, Renny Rizepi, he was the place Noma, which is like the world's best restaurant or whatever, was in my restaurant. And this food journalist called me and he was like, Renny Rizepi's in your restaurant. And I was like, oh. Which he one? Smokehouse. Yeah. Good one. And I said, so well, I'm in Tooting. I said, also, I've, I've just ordered a Domino's. <laughs> and he was like, oh. I'll come over. And he said, Renny wants to know what you've, what, you've, what you've got on your Domino's. And I was like, oh, yeah. So it's sun-dried tomato garlic sauce, which is essential in a Domino's, by the way. You don't go for the normal tomato sauce. It's terrible. Um, pineapple because I'm a heathen, um, chilies and pork meatballs. And he turned around and he said, Rennie likes your order. It tells, tells you to enjoy your Domino's. So I had my Domino's. Um, Domino's, uh, anything Neil Rankin says about your regular tomato sauce is his opinion only. No, it's, uh, and, and will be treated not, as such. It's, it's fact. It's fact. fact. It's, yeah. the tomato sauce is terrible on yeah. a Domino's. It's what, it's what lets it down. Let's do a, to make sure in case there's people out there that still haven't been to temper or Domino's or one other. Okay, <laughs> let's not go there. But let's talk about temper. Okay. Uh, uh, temper number one in the city. Temper number two in Angel. Give them. Give give listeners in case they haven't been and want to spend some money on a great night out. A um, quick so temper temper number one in Soho is um, aimed on mezcal and tacos. It was just you know, and we buy whole cows. We buy whole goats we buy everything you know how to butcher these things in the back yes we butcher them all ourselves and then we cook them all in different ways we use every little part of the animal there's a a sense of sustainability to it which i don't think um the vegan people quite got um for example my restaurant uses one cow a week and sustainable from tiny little farms across england something you buy them direct something like hawksmoor which has a similar level of business we use about 300 herd of cattle for, for that one restaurant so you know there's no argument to say that the way we do it they got offended by the whole animal barbecue thing because yeah. thinking i was going to put an animal in the spit in the middle of the room actually i would have if it was possible but but um they thought it was just for theater they thought it was a theater thing and it is a theater thing it's fun you know you sit and you sit in temper around lots of mezcal we've got loud hip-hop playing you know you've got fire you've got barbecue food people are getting a little bit dirty um it's a fun environment yeah it's a night out. Yeah, I mean, know. your temper in, in Angel in the financial district in London is, um, you know, I love it for its food. It's, it's, it, that one's smokehouse barbecue with curry and the alcohol is absolutely exquisite. 
the sitting around the fire is brilliant. The, the atmosphere is brilliant. What I really love is the crap 80s music that you pipe yeah. through the whole time. It's just Yeah, we, we did find that it was a bit too much for lunchtime. We've changed it. Oh, what so. have you changed it to? Well, it's just kind of plain because I don't think I don't think the general business customers were getting it. You know, you come in for a meeting and then you've got, you know, a harp playing in the background. I loved it. I love it, but I don't think they get it. It was a sort of tongue-in-cheek thing on um, American Psycho that I wanted to do in the city. I just like the idea of doing a... Of American Psycho like theme barbecue curry restaurant, barbecued goat curry and Duran Duran. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Who knew? Exactly. Phil, um, Col- Phil Collins and Masala. But and, and just before you, I think went really, really big. Because so because since we've last uh, sat down and spoken, you've won Obzi- Observer Food Monthly's New Chef of the Year and restaurant, your, new restaurant of the year, um, which is which is fabulous and it's a great great thing to have but it but it feels like you you went really big about a year ago two years ago where i just turned around and saw my old mate everywhere but before that you you'd got yourself a little niche as kind of rather crassly called our barbecue king or our charcoal yeah. king and you were talking on tv a bit about taking charcoals from all over the world because of the different smoke flavors um there's a michael pollan book called cooked yeah i really like it i've seen the one on netflix yeah he does a series. It's one of the best TV series. Oh, really? I yeah, it's look. really, really good. But I feel like you've prioritised that commitment to simplicity and great cooking above being whatever restaurant industry calls a perfect chef. Yeah, I mean, it's about it's about enjoyment, though, isn't it? It's not about I'm not. It's not. It's about taking your ego out of the food. It's not. You know, it's not ego cooking. Yeah. It's. You know, I've got chefs in a restaurant that I can either sit them in the back kitchen, give them little water baths, and you know, scientific equipment and let them time to get these little perfect little bits of meat. Or I can light a big fire in the middle of the room and throw them in the deep end and just get them to chuck bits of meat about and cut up whole animals. You know, know, one one would give you more precise, you know, I don't think more delicious, but, you know, more Michelin-worthy food. And the other one is more fun to work with, and I think that that comes out in the food. You know, it's not always perfect. Is that how, nothing's nothing's always perfect. Is that how you so, is that how you sold it to investors? Because I'm interested in the people that backed you guys and gave you the money to build these beautiful restaurants with these great fire pits in the middle and people having a good time, but with input, like no two meals ordered the same, look the same. It's mm. about good food. How did you sell it to they the investors? I mean, they didn't. They didn't get it at first. They now. They now love it, obviously. Yeah. But I think the initially they came in. And they were like, "Yeah, I don't get this." Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and then and then we started doing you know six eight hundred people a day. And they're like, "Oh, I get it now." <laughs> well, we have but it. To. But it was a gamble but, for them, was it? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, you know, I'd done. You know, I'd opened four successful restaurants in the trot that had made money. So I guess I had track record in that, and there was enough around me to attract attention, media attention. And my idea was good, you know, I mean, it's something nobody was doing before. And, and they looked at the the monetary side of the whole animal thing is quite interesting because obviously we, we buy yeah. meat a lot cheaper than other places and meat prices are high at the moment. So I think it's the only way, almost the only way you can go. And the theatre aspect, they got it, you know. You so, sat, you're sat there, I mean, you go to a guy and you say, well, let's let's build a restaurant in the middle of the Soho with a six-metre fire pit in the middle of the room, loads of tequila and mezcal and barbecue food. It's like, yeah, that'll work. Yeah, you take know? the kids. Yeah, fine. Yeah. When, when are you open? If you're having the time of your life on this podcast, why don't you tell us about it by leaving us a review? We'd love to hear from you. 
that leads me a little bit back onto the the, the vegan stuff because so so the story goes roughly that uh, you were somehow for some reason targeted uh, by some really extreme vegans not not all vegans by any means a really extreme little group that sent you vile abuse the whole time and what was really really impressive about that thing uh, before they literally drove you off facebook was you spent about 6 months genuinely trying to engage them and talk to them and explain to them and talk about some of the way you source meats and how much you care and also even about you know I, i'm not all about meat i I think we should eat less meat and treat it as a premium. Yeah. Like you tried, you worked really well, I think, hard. I, think, I, I, I don't think. I mean, the extremists are extremists. You know, you talk about extremists in any walk of life. You know, you're never going to convince them around any sort of extremism. Is tend to be a bit shit. You know, there's no there's no extremist behaviour that's good that or positive. Be, that should be a t-shirt, shouldn't it? <laughs> extremism, <laughs> you know, just a bit but shit. I think when talking to these people, it wasn't these people I was trying to convince. I was more trying to convince the people around these people. Right. So you know, the people that look to these people. You know, you're not. So you're not was, there was a bit of purpose behind you trying. Yeah. To I mean, I mean, I think I I I believe in the vegan cause. I think it's you know I I, I get what they're saying. I don't think they fully understand. Um, the nature of farming in this country. They don't, you know, everything, I've watched Cowspiracy. They're always like, oh, have you seen Cowspiracy? I'm like, yeah, I've seen it. You know, mm-hmm. it's about America. It's not about the UK. You know, this is about a, a production line that you're demonising, which you're quite right to demonise, and I'm against it too, which doesn't happen mm-hmm. in this country or in most of Europe. You know, so I don't understand why you keep on coming up with these numbers. Oh, you know, it's the end of the world. And oh, the money. You know, these are little cows that I'm using that are on a grazing field that is purely naturally irrigated. You know, it's water that's coming down. There's no, there's no extra water used up. Nobody's, nobody's starving from water because this cow is eating it. It's natural land that's getting fertilized by the cow. If you take these cows off this land, A, you don't have fertilizer, and B, you wouldn't be able to plant anything on it because it has the wrong irrigation profile. And C, these, you know, these farmers, they herd these cattle, but not for not for profit. They're not, not trying to make big bucks for these things. It tends to be for the fertilizer and the fact that, you know, they have this spare bit of land that, that that's what they're doing with it. You know, it's not... Look, I, I said I was impressed with you for engaging with them. I think you're going down a road, you'll never come back out alive if you... If you I, I believe you, but when you say, look, I believe in the vegan cause, it's like they're never, they're never going to take that from no, you. No, they're not. I don't, I, but I, I don't expect them to. Um, I mean, the, the difference of opinion is I, I, I'm probably closer to their level of thinking than most people. Yeah. So, so moving away from vegans, um, <laughs> please. Uh, yeah, <laughs> vegans I, and Gordon I, I Ramsay. I feel like uh, the one thing I'd never have guessed is how comfortable you are with what I call fame. And one of my colleagues said to me, "Do you think Neil is that a fair question? Because do you think Neil feels he's famous?" I was like, "I don't know. I don't know if he feels famous, but he's in the public eye, and people know who he is." And I get a lot of people. Um, I mean, I literally ride off the back of our friendship by telling people, that, <laughs> but um, quite quite brutally. But um, you deal with fame in quite a comfortable way, it seems. In fact, you don't hold back when it's time to take to Twitter and voice your opinion on stuff outside of food. You're not holding back, and yet you're in the public eye. Is there any conflict in you at all? My PR, there's quite a lot of conflict with my PR. <laughs> and how does your PR feel? I mean, you get a shitload I, of great PR. Yeah, I know, but it, but it does. And, and then I guess, they, they t- I mean, I'm just being honest, you know, and I've always done that. And I guess I think that's why more people follow me and that's why people come to it because there's, there's that sense of that, you know. It's really you. I'm not, I'm not bullshitting. I'm never racist. I'm never sexist. I'm never, you know, anti-things, you know, that I shouldn't be. I'm not, not, not an ist person, really, you know. But I'm but the fame side, is it comfortable for you? 
I mean, I, know I don't really like see get, it as that. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not the level of fame that it's, that it's uncomfortable. So you get to I mean, travel I, a lot. And I think, I think I, I'm at the perfect level, as in I get respect from my peers, which is exactly what I want. Yeah. But I don't, you know, I don't get yeah. weird people coming up to me in the street. I yeah. mean, a friend of mine. What, never? No. I mean, some of my friends, like guys like um, Professor Green and people like that, I mean, we're in a restaurant and he'll just, people just come up yeah. and, you know, harass him. And I just, I wouldn't want that. Yeah. It just seems that would be uncontrollable. I love Tom Carriage and Club Boss. You know, I don't want them in my kitchen. That's, that's just, <laughs> why, would I, why would I want them in my kitchen? They're better than me. You were always up for being um, quite honest and, and, and just helping people out. I remember the very, very first time we met. Neil and I grew up at university in an era, believe it or not, where email was a brand new thing. And Salford University actually had an email room. Uh, in halls where there were seven computers that you used to queue for hours to go and sit at one for 20 minutes and write an email. It was very exciting. And I Neil, didn't really get it. Neil and I were um, part of the same group in the early days of halls. He was somebody I hadn't really spoken to yet, but I could see he was, seemed like quite a strong, silent type, but with a bit of presence, and I was quite impressed. The first time we actually spoke, Neil and I were sat together in the email room, and Neil's first time in the email room, he sent an email to everybody on the university faculty whose surnames began with A, and he wrote the following email. Do you know that all of your names begin with A? You're welcome. Love, Neil. To which he got an email back saying, you are now banned from email for the rest of your university career. So while I was high-tech emailing the shit out of people, Neil had to walk around campus talking to people. Letters. and You know, meeting... Yeah. Um, uh, very funny. It was, it was just that, that was when I first became right. This guy could be my pal. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't really get the computer at all. No, I didn't understand how far it would go out to people. I think yeah. it went to about a million people. It, it, it went to like <laughs> it went to like twenty thousand people yeah. in in students and staff that these days began. With. They were all as unfortunate as one another to get your email. But yeah, well, I mean, it was helpful. I think. Yeah. Tell me this. Um, you and I are both from outside of London, but you've made your name and hopefully your fortune here. Are you a Londoner? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am. I'm indeed. I consider myself a Londoner. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I still look back to Edinburgh as being, you know, where I grew up. But I don't. I don't feel at home. I feel very home here. I love the multiculturalism. I think that's that's what comes out of my food. You know, if you look at what we're doing in the restaurant, a lot of people are like, well, why are you? You know, why would you make a weird Japanese curry thing? Why would you do this? That's you know, that? and I believe it's that's what London's given me. It's given me that opportunity. That opportunity to see so many different cultures and stuff that I didn't really grow up with. I think is, that's what lacking in Edinburgh. I love Edinburgh for Edinburgh, and I love it. It's a beautiful, beautiful city, and it's getting much better now. But it multicultural. It isn't, you know. Last um, time we spoke, you said you don't often get back there, and uh, the only thing that jarred with me is that your, you know, your family's still there. Your mum, your brother, your step. Yeah, I mean, but my brother comes down, and my, my mum comes. Down. I was there the other week. I, yeah. did, I did a talk at my old school. Oh, really? How did that Yeah, go? it was good. It was like at a... Watson's? No, Merkiston. Oh, right. The place I went after that. Oh, expelled from Watson's. No, I didn't get expelled from Watson's. I got, I got moved to the boarding school. Yeah, it's a different of, word for it. It was yeah. like, yeah, I had to tell them that as well. They were like, so why did you come here? I was like, because it was, it was a I punishment. I got moved, yeah. It was a punishment. Um, it's like, you, like if you do badly at school, you'll get sent to Merkiston. You went to talk to the uh, to the current students? Yeah, it's like a healthy eating week. So did, I did it go well? Week, yeah, and then taught some kids how to cook and thing. It was good. Oh, what a really nice thing to do. It was really nice. The new restaurant, you're building an empire, Covent Garden, and yes. the pizza this time. Tell me about pizza. that. Well, I like pizza. 
Is that it? Do you like pizza? I love it. Exactly. You know I do. So why wouldn't I do a pizza it's... restaurant? That, that's my level of thinking. It's like, you know, they're like, why are you doing a pizza restaurant? It's like, do you like pizza? Yes. Well, why wouldn't I? <laughs> what's the Monster Munch thing, though? You love Monster Munch. Like, what's that's the on Munch? one thing. No, no, i tell you tell what, what it is. Tell me what it's on. I'll tell you what it is. It's on, it's on a crab taco, and it's, it's just a crumb. So what we do is we take the pork skin... We cook pork skin until it's, you know, sort of chicharroni. It's, it's really crunchy. And we season it, so we sort of blitz up the Monster Munch because it's that pickled onion. I couldn't duplicate it in any other way, and there's a little bit of that goes through it. But it's delicious. And it was only a mistake because we were tasting... Uh, we were basically, I was doing everything in my flat, so I had like a week before we opened Temple One. And we were doing photographs of everything and doing all the, you know... Multi, uh, all the media stuff and and testing all the recipes, and we couldn't get any pork skin. So I said to the guy, I was like, and I've got a little shop in my flats, and I was like, just go down and get see if they've got any puffed pork skin. I said, if not, get some monster munch because it looks the same, <laughs> you know. So we chopped that up into little bits and stuck it on just for the photograph. And I went, oh, I'm going to try it. And I was like. You know what? <laughs> this works. works. It works. <laughs> it's kind of weird. We've moved to Space Raiders now, though, which I'm a little bit dubious about. Cheaper? or? Yeah, I mean, no, it's just availability more than that. It's quite hard to get Monster Munch. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I'm feeling a little bit like I've sold out, you know? I'm not. I was I was a defender of Monster Munch. Yeah. And I don't, but other people, I don't know, are you a Space Raiders guy or a Monster Munch? I was both. We went swimming on a Monday and you could get both in the vending machine, both 10p. Yeah. Are you mellow? Because it feels like, as we've grown up together, you've been a really steady guy, great to know, but you've always... You've not loved an argument, but you never back down from one and you always stand your ground. Are you mellowing out? Are you happy now? You've I got think, two I restaurants. Think I think, one yeah, on I mean, look, I mean, we, I have work worries and, and stress and things like that, but I'm probably in the happiest place I've been Yeah. ever. I, pre- I was thinking about this morning, actually. I was thinking, you know, I was woke up with a shocking hangover and a dubious text message <laughs> I sent last night to someone. I was like, oh, shit, shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and then I was, like, I was like, actually, but you know, it's fun. Here's an annoying thing. Why haven't you aged? I think because I'd never been in the sun. Is that right? Is that I think, I think that's kind of thing. I never shave, wet shave, and I never go in the sun. You and I literally think, look the same as you did. I think that's the only thing, because I never... I'm just basically blue... So there's no, there's no, I don't think you can age. It's like most people are a little bit like sun-dried tomatoes, aren't they? They just get that sort of wrinkly after a while. Whereas I think I've just never been in the sun. Oh, well, I've got the same face I'll have till I'm 60. I've I don't no really hair. tan, though, when I go on holiday. I just, don't you? Yeah, I just suddenly burn, and then it just peels off, and that's it. Well, you look great. I reflect um, heat. Friend, I love you so. 60 Second Rebellion with Neil Rankin, Rebel Chef. Um, quickly, advice to your 16-year-old self. Don't worry about exams, just educate yourself. Learn a language. Your 16-year-old self's advice to the grown-up you. Fuck off. <laughs> nice. I, I mean, I remember that you. <laughs> I fell in love with that you. See, I could give as much advice to my 16-year-old self, he'd yeah. tell me to fuck off. Yeah. The most important single character trait for any founder, entrepreneur or leader? Not fearing failure. Really? Have you failed? Yeah, loads. Lost my entire business. You did lose Fucked a business. Up three careers. Marriage. Marriage. I'm just piling on the page here. So you look back at it, it's mostly a series of fuck-ups. Yeah. Question four. (laughs) You're given the power and money to solve one big global problem and one tiny, annoying, day-to-day, small first-world problem. Big problem, plastic in the ocean. I think that's going to fuck us. First-world, small problem that you'd solve. What annoys you every day? Uh, It's traffic here. Traffic, yeah. What are you most excited about? 
The new restaurant opening. When's it opening? May. Rebel chef Neil Rankin, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for coming down. Thank you for having me. Post-match analysis. <laughs> Post-match analysis with the Rebel Tech founders, uh, Nicole Lyons and Mark Schwakey. Uh Hello. Hi. So, Neil Rankin. So, I love when you get Neil in a, in a room, especially you two together. You've got great banter. Um, it did leave me wanting more. I've got to be honest. Like, you got, he got to the end where he mentioned his fuck-ups in personal and professional life, which was the stuff that everyone wants to hear about. So, it was it was great, but it really did make me go, okay, where's part two? Yeah, I think we're going to do another one with Neil. The, the, there's so much to cover with that guy. He's got stories about coming out of where he was at university. He's got stories about being literally on life's floor after having been having, having had some pretty bad stuff happen to him and, and, and deciding on a new career and following it with vigour. Um, he, he's, had, he's had some serious uh, fuck-ups, and I, think, I don't think he'd be... A, knowing Neil... Neil wouldn't be against coming back and doing some more. So, yeah, I think there's, I think there's room for another, another go at that. Agreed. Yeah. That's it for today's episode of Rebel Talk. I've been your host, Mark Schwakey. Thank you so much for listening. My thanks go to our brilliant production team at Hard Six Audio, to Spirit Landing King's Cross for the beautiful studio, to my Rebel Tech colleagues and producers, Nicole Lyons and Meg Wright. Until next time, up the Rebels. Rebels, Rebel, you talk your dress. Rebels, Rebel, your face is a mess. I'm here with Neil Rankin. Hello, Neil. Hello, Mark. (laughs) That was sexy.